Mikkin? Here. Member McHugh? Here. Member McNulty? Absent. Member Mills? Absent. Member Natoli? Here. Member Patoha? Present. Uh, member uh, Vice Chair Lauren Post? Here. Item number two, opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. Seeing none, we're moving on to item number three, approval with possible modifications of the minutes of the August 26, 2019 meeting. Minutes, any objections? Um, I didn't, I don't have objections, but I did note a lot of, um, I don't know, typos in, oh. in there. Um, I marked several of them up. I can just give them to you. Yes, I can go ahead and take them, okay. and then I can go and ahead I, and update them. I may them have on missed a bunch, so maybe you want to take another look in addition, at that the thing in addition to what I wrote down. Okay. But, it, it's, it, you know, it's nothing too major. There are a couple that might have confused the meaning a little bit of the sentence, but for the most part, if you can kind of figure what it is that they're bad verb agreement, some of the tenses weren't right. Weren't right, okay. But this doesn't preclude us from approving the minutes, does it? Are you prepared to uh, approve, to move the minute, to approve Other the minutes? That, sure. with the With the correction of the typos, yeah, yeah. the no material changes? Yes. Right, okay. Public comment? Seeing none, we'll move on to item number, oh, oh sorry, can we take a, oh. I'll move to approve the minutes with the uh, corrections Brian. that Brian has recommended. Second. Any other objections? Any objections? None? Nope. Seeing none. Seeing none? Uh, moving on to item number four, presentation from various departments regarding the 2000, 2008, and 2012 park bonds and possible actions by the committees in, in response to such presentation. Um, good morning, uh, committee members. Um, uh, my name is Toksu Jike. Uh, I am the director of capital planning uh, uh, for recreation and parks department. Um, I have a short presentation for you today. Um, uh, the first slide, if you can just turn that on, thank you. Uh, the first slide we have is. Uh, just a short slide on uh, our status of the 2000 bond. Uh, the 2000 bond is officially closed. Uh, final reconciliation is complete. We are elated. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of projects that uh, came out of that program. Uh, the biggest of which is a mini lobby, which you see the picture on the wall, Upper Noe and Joseph Lee Rec Center. So there was approximately 87 projects that came out of that bond program. Uh, so this will be the last time you'll be hearing about it. Uh, on the next slide uh, is uh, a slide on our 2008 bond, uh, which is substantially complete, uh, except uh, there's a minor project, uh, which is the Burner Trails. Uh, which we are leveraging some some of the funds from the 2008 bond with 2012 to complete that work. Uh, that work is actually slated to be complete in early 2020. Um, this uh, this is a current this is our current schedule of our um, 
neighborhood park projects. Uh, Ninety-three percent of bond funding allocated for the neighborhood park park, park program has been either been spent or encumbered. Uh, with the planned opening of uh, Turkite project, uh, which is coming up later this year, uh, ten of uh, fifteen projects, named projects, will be op would, would have been open to the public. We're excited to hear that. Um, the remaining projects are in construction right now. Uh, they include uh, the Garfield Pool, uh, Margaret Hayward, and the Rossi Pool, all of which are slated to be complete uh, by uh, spring of 2020. Uh, we aim to finish all of this all of these projects by 2020. Uh, this is a highlight of our uh, uh, bond, uh, citywide program buckets. Uh, the uh, um, under the Let's Play SF project, uh, that project is actually complete now, which is a Washington Square, which is open to the public a couple of months ago. Five projects from that Let's Play program is actually in construction. Uh, you're going to see a series of projects, uh, ribbon cutting openings uh, in the next couple of months. We're excited about that. Uh, this is a uh, public-private partnership uh, between uh, Recreation and Parks Department and um, San Francisco Parks Alliance, where we're leveraging about $15 million from the bond program with another $15 million that's been raised. It's been a successful program. We're excited. Um, highlights of uh, McLaren Park, uh, the group picnic um, project is underway. Uh, we have work um, uh, that's ongoing, that will be ongoing at the Jerry Garcia Amphitheater. The concept plan was actually just approved at the commission uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're excited about that. Uh, on our community opportunity fund project, uh, Geneva Carbon, the phase one of that project is actually underway, uh, also slated to be complete uh, at the, uh, in December of this year. And then our largest, largest uh, project, uh, exciting project, which is the Golden Gate Tennis Center, is under construction, which we're leveraging some uh, community opportunity fund uh, dollars with uh, private philanthropy uh, that uh, they broke ground this summer, uh, slated to be complete in time for uh, the uh, 150th anniversary of uh, Golden Gate. And then uh, our water conservation also, uh, which is in construction right now, uh, slated to be complete later this month. Uh, this is just uh, some highlights and pictures of uh, recent, some of our recent work. Uh, the water conservation is one, uh, under construction, uh, slated to be completed in December. Uh, on an average, uh, when this project, when the uh, Washington Square water conservation project is complete, we expect to save over two million gallons of water uh, from this effort. Uh, we're deeply, deeply excited about that. Um, this, uh, another, uh, another picture is the, that one of uh, Panando with a groundbreaking with the mayor and our general manager, and also Potrero Hill Rec Center, another neighborhood park project that they just opened up last month. We're excited about that. Um, so what's next? Um, so we're proud to say that after nearly three years of work, 
we now have an asset management system called Lifecycle, which allows us to perform uh, planned preventative maintenance to, to maximize the useful life of our capital assets, uh, to prioritize repairs, to organize uh, major maintenance, and finally replace our capital renewal. We assessed over 56 million square foot of uh, vertical and linear assets in the last year alone. Uh, in addition, it will form the basis uh, for our bond planning for the next bond in 2020. Uh, although a lot of work has been done through the last two bonds, there's still a lot that needs to be done. Um, we're planning for growth uh, that's going to happen in the city uh, in the next 10 years. Uh, and we'll, we continue, we just sort of convened a bond working group uh, that will help us sort of uh, um, uh, move uh, some of this uh, bond planning efforts forward. Uh, their goal, some of their goals will be to develop uh, in-depth knowledge of needs and issues of our citywide parks and facilities, uh, assist in the comprehension of the RPD data analysis and goal prioritization, uh, providing an overview of our 10 years of our citywide parks and facilities. Um, as part of that effort uh, for the asset management in the assessment of our facilities, uh, we identified over uh, $950 million worth of uh, deferred maintenance needs. Uh, we, we intend to sort of uh, uh, use that asset management database to prioritize our work in the next decade. Um, the next slide in front of you is um, sort of building upon the successes of the 2000 eight bond and the 2012 bond, uh, we will continue to use the criteria that we used then. Uh, the criteria used then was a, sort of a conditions assessment, which is actually much more robust now, which our life cycle program, uh, we continue to sort of um, keep in mind uh, growth in the city um, and our I need sort of equity areas also, sort of, the, sort of a policy priority for us. Uh, our multi-use site is, a, is another criteria that we will intend to use for our future bond planning and also life cycle. Uh, on our much more complicated, complex, bigger projects, uh, uh, we're adopting uh, some strategies around project readiness, engaging with the community, some moving forward with some design efforts to sort of understand uh, the complexity of the work. Uh, and as, uh, in the past, as, as with the past two bonds, we anticipate there will be a, a, uh, two uh, sort of parts of, of, of funds, which will be the neighborhood park projects, uh, named neighborhood park projects and programs. This program has been highly, highly successful. Um, as I sort of mentioned, uh, the Let's Play, which we are never renovating about 13 uh, playgrounds all around the city. Our Community Opportunity Fund program, which is essentially a grant program, which uh, uh, neighborhood groups come together, raise funds, and we match those, those funds. Our water conservation part of money is also another one that's been highly, highly successful. Uh, urban forestry trails and sustainability. 
the next slide sort of shows our general strategy of our outreach uh, for the next bond. Uh, we intend to use some online efforts. Uh, we intend to take advantage of our uh, existing sort of advisory, park advisory groups, uh, direct park commission, and also to go back into the, into the community uh, for extensive outreach, uh, which in turn will help us sort of develop the bond program. We'll be coming back to the direct park commission in early 2020 to, to show our findings. And then uh, the last slide is, uh, a, uh, an overview of the schedule uh, before we before getting uh, as we prepare for the 2020 bond. Uh, as I indicated earlier, we have uh, convened a bond working group. They will be working to prioritize our projects based on the criteria that I outlined earlier. Uh, so in the next, we anticipate about uh, 20 to 30 meetings in the next couple of months, um, and then. Um, the findings will be presented to the Rec Park Commission in early 2020, uh, and then turns over to the uh, capital planning and the board of supervisors so that they can get on the ballot in June 2020 um, for election in uh, November 6, 2020. So that sort of ends uh, my portion, uh, the Rec Park portion of our presentation. I'm not sure if uh, someone from uh, the port is here. I can take it. Antonio Guerra, Capital Finance Manager for the Recreation and Parks Department. Uh, the port apologized for not being able to make it today. I understand they're very short-staffed at the moment, so I can just go ahead and go over what they are currently doing in the 2008 and 2012 bond. So in construction, using both 2008 and 2012 bond funding is Crane Cove Park. All the other projects in 2008 are complete. In 2012, uh, the cruise terminal plaza has been completed in design and environmental review are Islas Creek Improvements, Agua Vista Park, Heron's Head Park, and Pier 27 Public Art. And most notably, I think, Anna, was it last week when the fifth issuance was completed for the 2012 bond? Okay, so for the port's final $3 million of the 2012 bond, it was Final issuance was completed, so those funds are now fully available for port projects in the southeast uh, of the city, or the eastern portion of the city along the coast. Um, and I guess just to summarize, basically the 2008 bond program for both Rec and Park and the port are coming to an end. Uh, 2012 is well on its way, uh, at least for Rec Park, uh, ending in 2020. And uh, I think both departments are looking forward to next year for the 2020 general obligation bond schedule. So, thank you. I'll be happy to ask any questions you have. Um, before we get into that, um, we have a liaison report. Sure. So my name is Bart Pantoa. I uh, met with uh, Toxi and Antonio. And basically, uh, it seems like looking at the list and the, the completed projects, 87 completed projects from, I believe, the 2000 bond uh, is a great record. Um, one thing I did like about what they're doing is looking to stretch the money and getting uh, private funding for some of the areas that are more affluential, affluential for the, uh, some of these parks. Um, and basically, I went and visited a few parks, you know, and, and I've seen the work that's being done. And one thing that was uh, 
a great point made by uh, Toxin Antonio is that you know our parks are one of our last democratic uh, areas. You know, there, we we can walk into a park and, it, and it's free for us. Uh, and and it, the thing is too, I now notice uh, how many water fountains there are. <laughs> you know, and the uh, question of whether or not to have restrooms. Um, you know, uh, but uh, San Francisco has some great parks, and I'm, I'm appreciate what they're doing. And I think they're moving in a good direction. Um, that's basically my report. Okay. I do have some questions if anybody else doesn't have a question. If you could help me out, just a clarification on the uh, PROSAC. What is that? It's an acronym for what? Yes, it's, the, it's our uh, Parks and Recreation and Open Space uh, Advisory uh, Body. All right, thank you. And then also the CPC and BOS. Sure. Uh, so the CPC is the Capital Planning Group, uh, which is... Uh, um, uh, uh, comprises of all city departments uh, that sort of um, looks at all of the capital investments uh, for the next 10 years for the entire city, not just for Rec Park, transportation, health, and the, all of the other sectors. Okay. And the BOS? Uh, Board of Supervisors, sorry. Okay. okay. Just not, I'm not hot on all the acronyms, but I will sure. be by this time this is over. Um, <laughs> One other thing I'd like to do, though, through, through uh, our committee is uh, get a point of contact for the Porter Commission at some point. So aside from, from that, that'd be great. Point of contact for the Porter, for the Porter Commission for me. Thank you. Yes. Um, one question on the 2000 bond, um, and this is just for edification vis-a-vis -vis a, a bond that I'm the liaison for. It says on page three under program management activity, second bullet point, staff reappropriated $5.6 million in remainders from completed projects into a master project for subsequent allocation. In making that reallocation, did you have to go to the Board of Supervisors? Antonio Guerra. Yes, we did, actually. The 2000 bond was held at the project level. For, so for these specific projects, it was what's known as a deappropriation, reappropriation at the Board of Supervisors through a supplemental ordinance. Yeah. Um, so yes, it, it went to the Board of Supervisors. Yeah, and the reason I asked that was I'm a liaison for one of the muni bonds, and they've in just shifting money between a couple of categories that on a temporary basis they had to go to the Board of Supes. And I thought, well, this looks like the kind of thing where I'd expect that too. Aren't you the lucky ones? Um, the 2008 bond, um, I had a few real in the weeds kind of questions and I'm gonna skip that one because I think I know what that's about. Um, on the Kim Raymond Kimball play playground, it looks like it's delayed oh, about two and a half years in actual completion versus if you were looking to complete it in November of 2012. It didn't get completed till the 15th of June. Um, was there a problem there? Was there a delay? Was there a delay claim in particular? Yeah, um, thank you for, for your question. Actually, uh, we, there was a, um, additional sort of community engagement uh, that occurred in that project. And we had to sort of um, really understand the scope of the project before actually implementing it. So that community effort took a couple more months uh, and then uh, reconciling that scope of work and putting it out to bid and, and implementing it. 
I understand, okay. Um, on page 16, under project status summaries, the budgets and the actuals were dollar for dollar exact. I'm sorry, which one? How, how did that come about? Yes, Antonio Guerra again. That's just accounting reconciliation. At the end of the day, we need to get to zero in the bond, so. Okay. I figured it was something like that, but didn't know. On page 23, under the Pier 43 Baylink Trail, second paragraph, during the entitlement process, scope was added. I, I didn't know what entitlement process was. Sorry, what page is that? Um, 23. I got it right here. Okay. Uh, that's under the waterfront, right? Yeah. Um, that is under the port. Uh, I think I'll defer to the port. On the okay. okay. So in, in dealing with them. All right. Oh, the entitlement. Oh, sure. Uh, the entitlement process is actually uh, a process by which the project seeks uh, sort of uh, uh, the California Environmental Quality Action sort of approval, like CEQA approval oh. through city planning. Okay. You know, I figured it was something like that, and I'm glad I asked, because while I figured that, I didn't know that. Um, and finally, on Crane Cove Park, the only one that you still have in construction, you went from a completion date, planned completion date of February 2015 to December 2020, and construction didn't start till much later. I understand that you rescoped it, but was it that major an effort? Um, on this particular one, I'm going to defer to the port who are not here today. Okay, the port, fair enough. Yes. I'll hold it for them when they show up next Yes. Time. I mean, it, it's just for edification. Absolutely. You know, what's done is done, right? I, I don't want, I, I think I know what's happening, but I, I'd rather have them sort of uh, speak to that. I'll be here next time. Sure. All right, that's all. Thank you. I, I have a question. <clears throat> just kind of a higher macro level question following off of some of uh, Committee Member Larkin's comments. So I'm someone who's been to many of these parks, seen many of these projects. I love them. It's great to see this investment. Um, love seeing these improvements. But the timelines sometimes between estimated and actual completion are wildly differ. Yes. Uh, there are a few projects that were completed early, which was nice to see, but most seem to be delivered late. What efforts are you taking as you think about the 2020 bond to try and get that to line up better so that people's expectations of when a park will be improved align a little bit better with what we're actually seeing? Sure, that's a great question. And I think we continue to learn through the process. Uh, one of the things we're doing now is actually having a much more robust timelines for each phase of work. So maybe uh, sometimes we believe uh, community engagement should take six months. What we're finding out is actually takes close to a year plus. Uh, on much more complicated projects, what we are doing is actually uh, leveraging existing funds to understand the scope of our work better uh, so that um, the issues around scoping, the issues around costing can be realized early so that we can implement the projects better. Um, you know, also the other part of this is also, uh, I believe we're better staffed now. Uh, absolutely, we're better staffed uh, as a capital team. Um, so uh, we're, we're sort of positioned to sort of deliver the 2020 uh, projects better. Uh, also, the other part of this is also uh, uh, CEQA entitlement through city planning takes time. 
anyone who's done any sort of small to sort of medium-sized projects uh, sort of understand what it takes, uh, especially on our historic projects. Uh, historic properties, it just takes longer because we have to do additional analysis, more questions, and so on and so forth. So we're actually getting ahead of that and doing that work ahead of time now. So trying to mitigate those times. Thank you. Thank you. I have a couple of questions and comments. Um, uh, regarding the port in particular, do we audit the port's aspects of this bond? From a financial Peg Stevenson for the controller's office. Yes, we do. We have the same audit authority on the port's projects as anything else. I'm looking at the schedule of planned audits to see when this one might come up. Um, February 2021, this group of park, 2012 park bond will be in our audit sample. So it's not planned for a construction audit until then. Um, okay. But um, the authority is the same. Okay. Uh, so I am don't, I'm, I don't, telling you guys, because you're here, that I'm very disappointed that the port didn't show up for this, um, particularly as we're heading towards the seawall bond. Um, and so I'd like to calendar the port specifically for um, our next meeting um, mm -hmm. and ask them to come in and, and actually present um, the, hopefully a little bit more details about what they, what they have said here. There's no numbers on here. There's no, you know. So um, again, you guys are not responsible for them, um, but they need to understand that if they're going to be part of these bonds. Um, by something um, you said earlier uh, around the 2020 bond, I assume that they, they're going to have some projects on that one too? Is that? Um, actually, uh, the, the port is, they're not going to have uh, okay. any projects on that particular bond, okay. Okay. Uh, according to the 10-year capital plan. Okay. It would be very helpful for us if they don't, because it's very hard to have two completely separate groups, um, well, not completely separate, but separate groups come in and hold responsible. Um, so that's the port. Uh, regarding the 2020 bond, thank you so much for your thoughtful um, uh, pre-work on that bond. Um, we have seen that it's, the bonds are much more um, thoughtful and, uh, and well-written when, th when that type of work is done ahead of time. Thank you. Um, and it sounds like you're being, thor you're being thorough in trying to, trying to address that. Uh, you mentioned the deferred maintenance of 950 million. Is that is that sort of teasing the idea that you're going to put a bunch of deferred maintenance onto that bond because it's very hard to no. cover in deferred maintenance? No, I, actually, you know, the the data actually just came in, um, and um, we, in addition, it's it's just to sort of understand for our maintenance and operations team how to prioritize their work. Um, um, you know, in the past, we are great at sort of repairing a lot. We're not sort of great at sort of being proactive and actually understanding our, the life, the life uh, cycle of all our assets. Uh, so with this effort, with this uh, asset management uh, system, it will allow our operations team to actually prioritize the work. Uh, and that, through that effort, it sort of elongates the life cycle of the asset itself. Um, and then some of that work we'll probably be doing as part of the next bond mm -hmm. also, uh, and some of the future work that I anticipate will happen. Okay. Um, because 950 million is a lot for... <laughs> so, so, sorry? 950 million is a lot for a bond. Yes. No, no, no. I'm not actually not. Okay. Thanks. So that, that 950 million that you see is uh, sort of uh, a snapshot in time 
of what the deferred maintenance uh, sort of needs would be in the next five to ten years. Yeah, no, and it's very illustrative of, of we need to take care of our capital assets. Yes. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so what amount are you thinking about for the 2020 bond? So it's actually in the 10-year capital plan. It's been allocated as $255 million. Okay, and um, you said that in that bond they're going to have both named parks and programs. And yes. the name parks are much easier for us to govern and figure out whether True. whether you met the expectations of the voters. How are you going to split that 250 between name parks and programs? Um, so um, as part of the, the bond, the current bond working group will actually help us sort of uh, split that up. Uh, uh, I anticipate uh, a mix of, uh, so in the, NAC, in the last bond, uh, close to 60% of, of the funds from that bond came from the name parks and the rest went to the program. So I sort of anticipate some sort of balance and, uh, and shifts in, in, that, in that manner. Okay, so just as a cautionary, it can be very difficult, again, to govern that um, and for us to, for the voters to get, understand expectations when the sure. money is being used in in uh, undetermined ways, uh, no. undetermined. Um, I, and I think I, I think I should be actually very, very um, clear about that one. Um, uh, the last bond, um, there were about 71 projects that came out of this 2012 bond. 15 of them were named projects. The rest of them are sort of like in the program sort of buckets. Uh, and what it does is that uh, in most cases, not all communities or projects can get a named project on the bond. It gives the opportunity for smaller sort of projects to sort of get on the bond. It gives opportunity to force to build stewardship for our projects. It gives opportunity uh, uh, for us to sort of like uh, build sort of uh, uh, support uh, for projects that need it. Small projects, uh, they get, they fall through the, the cracks too sometimes. So. Uh, we're able to sort of do that through that program. So I, uh, one thing I'll say is that our delivery rate uh, for all of this project so far is 100%, and we intend to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate the ability to be reactive, um, and uh, both to the community and to what's happening, because these bonds last for, I mean, we're seven years into COVID, the, yeah. this 2012, and it's not even over yet. I understand, I totally understand that, but I struggle with how does, um, uh, you know, how does Bart like look at these things and see how your decision-making process sure. in picking one thing over another? Sure. Well, that would just be incumbent then upon the department in their reporting. I mean, they need to do what they need to do. I'm not so worried about, you know, if, if we're having trouble evaluating success, then we need to work with them on, on how to help us understand. It has nothing to do with how, to my opinion, it's their call how they're going to split the bond. That's not our call. Okay. Uh, but on that, I see your, your point is just being able to track from our standpoint, you know, where is it going? What are these small projects as they come up? You know, it'll just, I, my belief it'll be an ongoing discussion as these come up because I, I think what you're trying to frame is that for the voters to understand, you know, seeing 255 million but only five named projects, they think it's all going there and to be able to explain that it's not, that it's Absolutely. in that bucket, as you said, to be used on some of the smaller projects because some of the parks are just, you know, a few trees and a park bench. You know, and like we were talking earlier, some are hidden. You know, you take a drive or ride through the city and you discover a new park. You discover a hillside that's open to the public. So, you know, uh, to address your question, I think that's how do you frame that in a reasonable manner to the public? 
Awesome. But Thank overall, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to have this conversation about, about the, the yes. push and pull Thank between you. these bonds. I have some, a couple yeah. questions, yeah. too. Um, what is an equity zone? Um, so um, an equity zone uh, is, is the um, San Francisco census tract uh, of our 20% of our disadvantaged communities. And we're using sort of a, a cow, sort of EPA sort of standard, which is sort of statewide standard that sort of measures uh, income level, uh, language isolation, um, um, and, and so on and so forth to sort of determine that. Is it a state term? <clears throat> yes. Oh, it's a state term. Yes. Equity zones, yes. California term on disadvantage. It's not. It's not a state term, uh, but we are using uh, uh, the California EPA has actually sort of right. done a great job in sort of understanding equity sort of communities. Yeah, uh, equity. I just. I didn't know if that was a tax term. Why it's called an equity zone? Is it because people are going to get tax benefits? No. Like investing in them. No. No, it's not that. It's not a okay. tax. It has nothing to do with tax law. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way for us to sort of understand uh, some better uh, some of our underserved right. and under uh, sort of our resource communities right. and to sort of understand because historically they have not been sort of given the resources they need and we're trying to sort of use an effort policy imperative to sort of address those inequities. Thank you. And my other question also has to do with the, the 2020 bonds. I mean, it looks like... Um, the project selection criteria that you outlined uh, looks quite thorough. And um, I just was wondering how you would describe the community engagement strategy, right, the public planning process. My guess is right now you already know what's going to go into that 2020 bond because of what the city needs. Yet you have to have a public planning process. I understand that. Yeah. Um, how extensive a public planning process is it? How much, how much time do you need to spend on community engagement for what you already know needs to be in that 2020 bond? Um, I just want to make sure, sure. time isn't wasted no, by I, city I agree staff with you. I mean, going to a neighborhood, asking them, what do you want in this park? And you already know what they want in the park. Right. They've been telling you for 10 years what they want in the park. I'm just trying to get a sense, because I deal with that, some of that in the neighborhood where I live. You kind of have to have community meetings, but we already know because the community lets us know through emails all the time what they want, that type of thing. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, in as much as we have an idea of what this project could be, uh, ultimately we don't, I or I as a staff member, don't make that call. Uh, that is made by our Reckon Park Commission. It's imperative, though, that we do community outreach to sort of really, really understand those needs. Uh, there's aspects of this that we might not even understand that we're not hearing about. Um, there, as I said, uh, another sort of pot of money is going to be this, uh, this program pot of money uh, that might be able to sort of fit into those needs. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to sort of assume that we know um, uh, all the projects that are going to go into that, into that uh, after a, a thorough, thorough community process, I believe we'll better understand. Um, as I sort of mentioned, uh, our need uh, sort of always out, out sort of last uh, sort of resources that we actually need to do and um, prioritization of this assets, of this needs is something that we will need the community to help us do.
Right, and I guess the ultimate goal with your new um, asset tracking program that you described, eventually wouldn't it be nice if that, you know, that there, there should be fewer and fewer community findings and sure. that take you by surprise. Yes. You go, because you're on it, because that's the, the beauty of this new system. So yes. I wish you the best of luck rolling that out, and yeah. I hope that eventually the difference in what the community identifies and what you knew about should get smaller over time, I would think. Absolutely. Right? That's the idea. Yes. Right. Thank you. Any other comments? Thank you. Any public comment? Seeing none. Seeing no public comment, we'll move on to item number five, presentation from the city service auditor regarding the whistleblower program, liaison report on the whistleblower program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation and report. Uh, good morning, Chair Chu, members of the committee, Mark De La Rosa, Acting Director of Audits for the Controller's Office, City Services Auditor. Um, today I'm with um, Steve Flaherty, who uh, leads and oversees our whistleblower program. Um, last time that we were before the committee, some of you may, um, may remember, was back in January 2019, where we provided you with our mid-year status for FY1819. Uh, we're here today to give you the full fiscal year update on our whistleblower program activities, efforts, and initiatives. Um, we just want to thank um, also the, um, the liaison for our whistleblower program, Siobhan McHugh, and um, Peter uh, Mills, uh, who uh, met with us a couple of times back in September uh, to give them an update on our uh, program, as well as give them an overview of the different processes that we have. So just very quickly, um, for those that are uh, new to the committee, uh, we just want to give you an, uh, kind of a highlight of the uh, different authorities that um, oversee our whistleblower program. There are three primary sources of our authority, uh, the first being the California Government Code, um, Section 530.87.6, um, which really provides for the auditor controller of the jurisdiction uh, to investigate fraud, waste, and abuse of any government employees. Uh, the second source of our authority is our local San Francisco uh, Charter, Appendix um, F, which specifically designates our, our um, city controller as the city services auditor to administer our whistleblower program and investigate um, misuse, uh, waste, inefficient and improper usage of our resources as well as activities. And the uh, third um, source of authority is our San Francisco Campaign and Government uh, Code, uh, Section or Article 4, which basically um, directs the controller to administer the whistleblower program for the citizens um, and employees of the city to, um, to report any um, situations of waste, um, misuse, inefficient and improper use of our resources and activities. Um, and Steve, a little later on, will talk more about the, uh, the recent changes to that, um, to that San Francisco campaign and government code, um, uh, conduct code, um, to see how we have revised some of our uh, program elements. And Steve will go through our uh, program activities. So the campaign and governmental conduct code, as well as Appendix F, uh, states that there are certain matters that are appropriate for whistleblower program investigation. These include the misuse of city funds, improper activities by city officers and employees, deficiencies in the quality and delivery of government services, and wasteful and inefficient government practices. 
There are also some very specific matters that the whistleblower program does not investigate, and when we get those, these types of complaints, we refer them. These include complaints that another city department is required by federal, state, or local law to adjudicate, complaints that may be resolved through a grievance mechanism established by a bargaining unit or contract, allegations which may involve uh, violations of criminal law, investigations which are subject to uh, already investigations being performed by the city attorney, district attorney, or ethics commission, and allegations which allege violations of governmental ethics laws. So on slide five, we have the number of whistleblower program reports received since July 1st, 2012. In fiscal year 1819, the whistleblower program received 502 new reports. This is an 8% increase from the previous fiscal year. The whistleblower program has received more complaints each fiscal year since 12-13. There are several factors that can influence the number of reports received. We cannot attribute the whistleblower program volume to any one factor. Some factors may include how the whistleblower program is advertised or organizational culture. A high volume of reports received can mean that the hotline is working as planned or that there's a greater awareness of the whistleblower program um, or that the or department management are setting the proper tone in reinforcing internal reporting mechanisms, which include the whistleblower program. In years when our report volume trended downward, we review our report volume against that of other jurisdiction and industry benchmarks and found that San Francisco's program still receives more complaints per capita than programs in other large California jurisdictions, including those in Los Angeles County and the city of San Diego. And we also compare our volume against industry benchmarking reports. So just another look at our complaint volume in fiscal year 1819. We started the year with 82 reports open. We received 502 new reports throughout the course of the year. We closed 493 and we were left with 91 open investigations uh, heading into the new fiscal year. Just to look at how people file reports, the majority of the reports that we receive are through our online web form. We use multiple intake channels to ensure that the program is accessible to potential reporters and available to them in a manner which they are comfortable communicating. Regardless of what reporting channel is used, each report that we receive is assigned a unique tracking number and is systematically reviewed so that it can be resolved as efficiently and effectively as possible. The whistleblower program closed 500, uh, sorry, 493 reports in fiscal year 1819, and we did so in an average of 59 days. We closed 406 of the 493 reports, which is 82% within 90 days of receipt achieving our program's goal of closing at least 80% of all reports received within 90 days. Uh, the whistleblower program recognizes that if reports are not resolved in a timely manner, reporters may conclude that their allegations are not being taken seriously. There are several factors that can influence report closure, closure time. These include the complexity of the report's allegations, the number of allegations made in each report, and the availability of corroborating witnesses and evidence. Of the 493 reports that we closed, nearly half uh, reached closure after an investigation. The investigation includes any research and preliminary information developed in determining whether a full investigation is warranted or possible. Whistleblower program staff lead certain investigations, whereas others may be referred to another city department involved in the allegation for investigation and response. We coordinate with these other departments, and that uses their department expertise and leverages all resources to ensure that the allegations are resolved in a timely manner. 
Management of the department associated with the report must respond to the whistleblower program on any action taken in response, and then these responses are reviewed by the whistleblower program before a case considered closed. This chart summarizes the disposition of closed complaints dating back to fiscal year 1516. Uh, not all reports received by the whistleblower program are appropriate for whistleblower program investigation. But however, having the whistleblower program as the city's central, port, central point for report intake ensures that issues are and risk trends are identified uh, promptly so the city management can address them. Of the 256 investigations we closed in fiscal year 1819, 103 of them, or 40%, resulted in a department taking corrective or preventive action. Uh, the whistleblower program believes that a factor of substantiation rates is when well-informed reporters make high-quality reports that are effectively investigated. The whistleblower program increased its efforts to educate employees and members of the public on matters appropriate for investigation by publishing fraud bulletins to make individuals aware of red flags associated with costly occupational frauds. In fiscal year 1819, the whistleblower program issued bulletins on construction materials fraud, supply chain fraud, incompatible activities, and overtime abuse. Of the 91 reports that were open on June 30th, uh, the majority were 90 days old or less at that time. And the whistleblower program examines factors that delay report closure and in some cases work with department's leadership to address these issues. The whistleblower program is focused on training departmental staff responsible for investigating reports so that investigations are standardized, they use the same processes and increase the investigative skill sets of these employees and ensure they have a uniform understanding of the responsibilities entrusted to them to carry out the whistleblower program investigations. So one of our big initiatives in fiscal year 1920 is addressing the new requirements of the Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code. In January 2019, changes to the Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code, Chapter 4, went into effect. These changes place responsibilities on city supervisors to assist employees in filing retaliation claims. Also, whistleblower program, uh, sorry, whistleblower protections were expanded to city contractors and employees of city contractors. As part of our fiscal year 1920 work, we're collaborating with the Department of Human Resources and the Ethics Commission to fulfill these new mandates. The whistleblower program is updating our outreach materials and our new hire training videos to reflect the change mandates. In preparation for a potential increase in whistleblower program report volume, we are cross-training uh, other auditors within the shop on whistleblower processes to address any increase in complaints that results from these new outreach materials. Just some other initiatives we have going on this fiscal year. Uh, our quarter one uh, 2019 report is in progress. Uh, we're reviewing our report template to ensure that, that the language in there is consistent with the new requirements of the Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code. And we're also looking for ways to distinguish in terms of the complaints that we receive, which come from city employees or public or from city contractors to get a better sense of how much of the report volume is driven by our new outreach and uh, to city contractors. Uh, we host a fraud hotline and investigation webinar series. Uh, we've, this has been done for the past few years. Uh, we'll continue on this fiscal year with two webinars. Uh, the first webinar will take place on November 6th. Uh, these webinars have been well attended and regarded by other jurisdictions throughout the United States. Uh, 
And we're also engaging in some additional initiatives to ensure we have a best-in-class program. We're currently working with the controller and deputy controller in prioritizing a whistleblower program website redesign. Uh, the controller's office plans to engage a web designer and builder in the next few months and plans to begin a website redesign uh, either at the end of this fiscal year or beginning of next fiscal year. The goal of this website redesign would be to improve user experience and update and simplify whistleblower program language. Uh, lastly, we continue to learn about and incorporate leading practices into the whistleblower program. Uh, this is done by learning from our peer jurisdictions, including the ones that presented our webinar series, as well as our participation in professional associations. Um, so far this fiscal year, we've invited to speak at two conferences uh, regarding fraud hotlines and investigations. Thank you. Uh, liaison report? Yeah, um, Siobhan McHugh. I've been working with Peter Mills as joint liaison to the whistleblower program. Since our last committee meeting, Peter and I have had a few meetings with Mark, Steve, and Dave. Uh, we met twice, and we plan to meet on an ongoing, regular basis. Um, we'll be attending the November 6th webinar that Steve just mentioned about uh, credibility and maintaining objectivity. We've reviewed quarterly program reports. Um, we've been through the reporting process from the side of the reporters, uh, which brought us to website functionality and design and usability. Um, we reviewed some actual whistleblower reports redacted, um, which brought us to the post-reporting survey, wh where we reviewed all responses. Um, the rate of survey responses is quite low, probably, as to be expected for that kind of thing. Um, staff have identified a few themes and addressed those um, concerns by promoting awareness, communication, education, and various other things to promote confidence in the program. Um, Peter and I have some things that we'll be doing in the coming months, like meeting with um, civil service, HR staff, uh, possibly ethics commission, but our main focus going forward will to be pick, to pick up where Brenda left off. Um, she had suggested engaging an external um, expert to review the process and staffing and go through the program. Um, so we're working with Peg to identify a um, an RFQ and a uh, budget for that going forward. Uh, do you feel after your investigation that that really is necessary? Have, uh, do, do you agree with yeah, Brenda's I, review uh, I, now that you've started to become familiar with the whistleblower program and have dug into it sounds like to a lot of the details? Do you agree that that is still required? Yeah, I think it's important, and Brenda did too. She'd pushed for that for a long time, and Peter and I both think that will be well served to do something like that, to go through the processes and manuals. Just to um, bring you up to date on that subject, so any comments that you all have now, having heard um, Mark and Steve's presentation and Siobhan's um, liaison report will really help us as we try to figure out what the scope of work and what mechanism we would use for this review. Um, two things have come up. <clears throat> There's a tradition in professional practice, as you're aware, in the audit profession of peer reviews, um, where every three years an audit organization 
has a peer review done to review its procedures and practices and um, quality of work and gets a finding from uh, three peer reviewers, I th is that correct, that come and make site visits and look at those things. Um, we're exploring whether or not that might be an option for the whistleblower program. There are some guidelines that were issued not too long ago from the GAO, and again, we're exploring whether or not a peer review mechanism might be possible. If it's um, not and or, there is the option of using one of the providers in our uh, pre-qualified pool that we hire to do other audit activities. And the scope of work could range you know, from, uh, again, it should focus on your interest and any concerns that you have. So if there is any comments now, I'd really benefit from that. Um, we would try and take those uh, comments and concerns and develop them into a scope of work and then put it out to our pool and um, try and have a, a attestation, it would be called an attestation engagement from one of those providers that would fit your interests. Um, so anything, any feedback you can give us would be very helpful. I have a couple, couple questions. Um, I didn't catch the four, you said primarily, this was on your slide, um, Page 11, the uh, percentage of investigative uh, reports that resulted in corrective preventive action. You listed primarily four areas where uh, you would, uh, that were topics that, that were the subject of the reports. Yes. Uh, so. What were they? I just didn't catch them all. Sure. So we, we've had a, uh, a front bulletin series the past couple years, and in fiscal 18-19, the bulletins were on construction materials fraud, supply chain fraud incompatible activities and overtime abuse. Thank you. And then my other question was on slide five, the number of reports received since July 1st, 2012 with the uh, ascending line. And I guess you mentioned the report, well, it may be due to this and it may be due to that and it may be due to this, but let's figure out what they are due to, not may. I mean, is the program better publicized now than it was four years ago? Uh, are managers talking about it more and doing a better job of pushing information out to their employees than they were? Are there more city employees so there will be more whistleblower complaints? I mean, these are, th that's what struck me in 1819. We see that line going up, but we may have a, more people working for the city. So just I think that would be helpful to not, you know, what may be the cause, but let's try to figure out what is the cause. Then maybe the, we can try to get the line to go down. And I think that, that that was my comment also, that, that for this external um, uh, uh, body of work, um, uh, I think that if we can figure out what a methodology is for determining or evaluating whether um, there's more chaos in our, in, in, in our environment or in, and because I think you, you did give a couple examples of it's more, it's, it's better, um, uh, it's better communicated and things like that, but that's that's one theory, right? So let let's figure out where do we figure out whether our, our government is 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 I hate to go so far as say more corrupt or more has more problems than it has in the past, and when is it just that we're doing a better job at our at the whistleblower program, particularly as you know your um, for this fiscal year a number of your um, uh, initiatives are about getting the word out even more, mm -hmm. right? So, but again, I I want to make sure that it's, we don't just complacently say, oh, we, people know about it more, so we've got more, right? I think that, you know, I think the whole goal of this program is to take a pulse of our, our government, um, and so let's use it that way. 
if I may, we, we talked about this during our liaison meetings, and I think we identified some reasons why beyond just communication and good faith in the program that there have been more reports. Um, I think you guys have a good grip on, you know, there may be some instances in, in one thing happening and several reports coming from one situation or uh, people feeling more comfortable to make a report if something has changed in a department. But, but there are some logic to why reporting has gone up. But I think that I think that confidence in the program has gone up. We, we talked about that and communication um, and continually outreaching to the HR heads um, has probably been a big reason of that that's from a, what we've seen. And that's a good point. If one incident maybe generated 10 complaints, where usually you're in, it's you know one incident for one complaint, that would, that would definitely skew the numbers too. So it might be interesting to... Right. I have a couple questions. Um, as a certified fraud examiner, I'm excited to see a lot of the stuff. So I love seeing this and digging in. Um, I, I just, uh, I know that numbers aren't an absolute measure, but I didn't necessarily see like a figure of like in fiscal year, we detected, prevented X dollars of occupational fraud, we estimate. Uh, do, you, do you keep track of that? Uh, we try and quantify our results whenever possible. Um, with the, just given the nature of some of the instances we see, it's not always possible. Yeah. Just because some of them involve workplace disputes or things that just can't be quantified. But whenever Indeed. there's an opportunity, we usually publish that in our quarterly reports. And uh, one other one, just as a part of your efforts of outreach and education, um, love seeing the bulletins and I've gotten the emails and it's good to see that. Do you contain, obviously they have to be somewhat sanitized for situations, but do they contain examples that are more specific to what the whistleblower program is actually seeing in the city and county of San Francisco so that people understand maybe something that's more salient to them? The fraud bulletins, I would say, are somewhat timely just with some of the concerns that are brought to our attention. And we've always tried to capture um, the things that we're seeing through the whistleblower program or, or that people are trying to report to the whistleblower program through those bulletins so that the reports that they make to us are as effective for our purposes as possible. Thank you. Uh, so I want to remind our um, members that uh, we are the only governance body for the whistleblower program, so we, we take this one really seriously. Um, for the parks in particular, they, they, already, they have a commission also, so this is um, a unique um, uh, responsibility of ours. Uh, I, I, one of the things that, Siobhan, you said is that you were looking at redacted reports. Do you feel that, I think we have the authority to, to look at the actual reports, um, the whistleblower complaints themselves. Um, do you feel the need to do that? Or, I mean, I don't want to add more risk into the, into, the, into the process either, but I just wanted to make sure that you felt like you were getting as much information as you need to, to feel comfortable. I think I think if we requested it, we would get it. Um, for Peter and I are both new to the committee, so we spent a lot of time reviewing um, like quarterly reports and the processes first. We reviewed, I'm not sure how many actual redacted reports we reviewed, but just to get a sense of um, education as a whole before we dove deep into those details. But we, we will be okay. diving deeper in the future. Great. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Any other comments? Thanks. Good seeing you guys. Uh, is there any public comment on this matter? Good morning, committee members. I'm Dr. Derek Kerr, a whistleblower. 
um, an audit of the program is a good idea, but it should not be a peer review audit. That would just bake in the biases and weaknesses that all whistleblower programs have. It would be important to get in touch with a whistleblower advocacy organization, such as the Government Accountability Project in Washington, D.C. Um, one of their consultants could advise as to the kinds of standards that a whistleblower program must have to meet the needs of whistleblowers and the public. So it needs to be an independent audit, not <clears throat> an audit by the same folks. Um, <clears throat> we've heard a lot today about the um, rising quantity of complaints, uh, but I want to talk about the quality or value of those complaints. Since its inception, the whistleblower program has been plagued by a surfeit of minor complaints. <clears throat> the 2010-11 civil grand jury found that just 36% were true whistleblower complaints alleging fraud, waste, and abuse. Then the whistleblower program developed a risk assessment policy uh, that was designed to triage the complaints and sorting them out into low, medium, or high uh, risk complaints. <clears throat> For example, the medium risk cases involve potential losses of $10,000 to $50,000, or they implicate a mid-level manager. But the medium and high risk cases are not represented in the whistleblower reports. Instead, we get a preponderance of cases about low-level employees who use work computers for personal business, who leave work early, or show up late, who gamble or sleep on the job, or who smoke in city cars and park them inappropriately. <clears throat> Preventing these abuses is worthwhile, but where's the beef? We don't hear about the big money violations or mid to high level official misconduct. Why not? If the whistleblower program does not receive such complaints, GOBOC should know why. If the whistleblower program refers such complaints elsewhere, GOBOC should know how many involve violations of criminal or ethics laws. Since the whistleblower program already categorizes complaints according to their low, medium, or high risk, GOBOC should ask why they are not reported as such. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kerr. Any other public comment? Great. Can you call the next item? Item number six, opportunity for committee members to comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. One, fiscal year 2019 to 2020, see GOBOC work initiatives, A, standardized templates, B, expenditure audit, C, public finance upcoming bond issuance, D, public perception survey, two, other committee business, A, C, GOBOC fiscal year 2018 to 2019 annual report, B, C, GOBOC fiscal year 2019 to 2020 work plan, C, other committee business. Good morning, Peg Stevenson from the Controller's Office. And just to remind everybody, the format of this agenda item is 
to have a list of administrative and committee functions that you're working on during the year, and we can report progress or not on any of them as needs be. And um, I will just run down the list and stop me at any point with your questions or comments. Standardized templates, this was a desire of the committee during last fiscal year to look at some of the variation that occurs among the bond reporting that you get from different programs. Um, and try and move towards a format that you would find most useful in terms of having them be common, um, use same terminology, standard uh, views for schedules and expense reporting. Um, and so we didn't do work on that last year just given your capacity and ours, but we are prepared to do work on it during the current fiscal year. I think that Chair Chu has designated herself, volunteered to be the liaison on this subject. And I think probably what will happen between now and your January meeting is I'll have some of my staff refresh and build on a matrix that we've worked on before that shows the bond programs, the type of schedule that they're providing, what their reporting period is so we kind of can see any variability that exists. And then we can meet with Chair Chu and look at that together and explore you know, how useful the committee has found the reports and where we might look for improvements. Um, so it's, you have a period now, November and December, where you don't have an in-person meeting. So I should think we'd be able to find time to have that meet, a liaison meeting on that subject, if that sounds appropriate. Great. Um, uh, one other thing, uh, can you also ask them to go back and um, look at our previous meetings? Um, to uh, you know, uh, understand how we use the actively use those reports. I, um, uh, Brian had ref was referring back to some very specific information in some of the reports, and so I don't. Um, I think we can just use that as facts about um, how how we're using them, how they're act how that information is actively being used in a meeting. Thanks. I know uh, Brenda also um, had um, interacted with the reports in a very in depth way. Okay. Um, B, uh, audit expenditures audits. So this is where we have an outside contractor um, do reviews of expenditures in bond programs, and you'll see issuances periodically. Um, Mark, would you just update folk on your schedule? Any changes that have happened? Um, just a quick... Um Update, so we've completed eight uh, expenditure audits so far of eight various geo bond programs. We have one that is currently ongoing, which is the 2016 Public Health and Safety Bond Program. Uh, we will be um, uh, issuing that in either December or early January, right in time for your next SIGOBOC uh, meeting in late January. Um, after that, we do have um, some plans to uh, touch the um, the geobond programs that we haven't uh, quite touched before, including the 2016 Affordable Housing uh, Bond Program, as well as the 2018 Seawall Safety. Um, those are gonna be deferred to next fiscal year. Uh, we wanna make sure that there's enough expenditures to actually audit, um, and that will be the case for the 2018 Seawall Safety, so we'll definitely put that on our, um, 
our um, work plan for next fiscal year, and definitely the 2016 affordable housing. We should have enough uh, transactions to uh, audit by uh, the beginning of next fiscal year or end of this fiscal year. Um, we're also planning on touching the um, or doing re-audits of some of the geo bonds that we have audited before. So just looking at those uh, um, projects within those bond programs that we did not audit in the past just to make sure that we have a full um, extent and coverage of the various projects within each bond programs and that we can attest to the fact that we've audited all of the uh, various projects within all of the uh, bond programs. Jane, do you have any um, uh, concerns about the timing of the audit for the 2016 uh, affordable housing? It sounds like it could be as late as, I mean, if they don't start it until next summer, it's a year from now or so. I have some, but I mean, there weren't a lot of expenditures in that one the last time I looked, so I right. understand that there's not much to look at. I believe they had only gotten started on three of the 30 items that were in there when I was looking at it for our report. So. Um, obviously, love to see them as soon as possible, but we can't audit what hasn't been spent. So I understand that um, we'll just have to keep an eye on that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and uh, Bart, uh, the the port, I, I for me, it's a very much about black box over there, mm -hmm. um, and we probably would have learned a little bit more if they had come today and with some information. Mm -hmm. So I, it feels to me like that's one that that might creep up on us. Got it. Uh, maybe not the whole thing, not not the whole parks bond, but. Uh, Go ahead. The, the port seawall bonds have not been issued. No, I'm talking about the port's part of the, I'm sorry, the tw 2012 parks bond. Yeah. It's, it's that sort of, it's that. that yeah. Right, it's that a more detailed report would be key. Got it. And, you know, like I said, I'll re with the contact I get from uh, here, I'll, I'll reach out and meet up and see if we can't get to the bottom of it and get a report. And we'll talk about it at our next meeting, and so that, that might end up having some concerns, particularly as we go into the seawall, where we're going to have a whole lot more money and a whole lot more um, <clears throat> needed. What we can certainly do as part of our work planning for next fiscal year is to uh, revisit the uh, geo bonds that we have audited and figure out which portions or projects uh, are attributed to the port, and we can use that as, as our way to narrow down the, uh, the scope of our geobond programs for those geobonds that we've already audited in the past but haven't um, touched all of the different projects. Okay. Great, thank you. Okay, uh, next item 1C is the schedule of upcoming bond issuances. You have a memo in your packet and Anna Van Degna, who's our Office of Public Finance Director is here to answer any questions or comment? Yeah, um, uh, so the seawall, any idea, is that really gonna go to the board in April or we just simply don't know anymore? It, it went to the board last okay. April. There's outstanding litigation, so it's been held up a little bit, but um, we should have an update for you, if not at the next meeting, the meeting after. Okay, great. Um, and then um, the transport, I'm sorry if I asked this last time, but um, the transportation and road improvement, um, 258, is that, that, that seems like a large number for issuance. Mm -hmm. Is there any reason why that, because I, I, if I look at the encumbered, unencumbered, we have at least 50, 50 million that are, is not uncovered. Right, and but prior to, and we're still in the early stages for that one, but prior to determining the final bond amount, we will make sure that there are projects that they have um, planned for expenditure within the next uh, three years per IRS um, guidelines. Mm -hmm. 
And just one note that was mentioned earlier, um, we are pleased to report that we did sell the last series of bonds for the affordable housing um, geo measure last week, um, about 93 million. And then we also sold the final series for the parks bond, which will be a port project. So that is in the amount of 3.1 million mm -hmm. for that final port project. Um, and then right now we're just starting to do our work on vetting vetting projects for both um, the public health and transportation bond to determine um, what size we will be bringing forward for issuance in the spring. And then we are also evaluating some refinancing opportunities given the low interest rate environment for our outstanding geo bonds. That's great. Um, and is the market still looking favorably on... On our bonds? It is, most definitely. And we still have our uh, two, two of our three uh, credit ratings are AAA, and, the, and the, the Fitch one is AA+. Plus. So that's a good thing. Congratulations. Thank you. Can I ask? Yeah, please. On the 2020B Transportation Road Improvement Bond, do we have a scope for that yet, a description of what is up? Um, I know Vishal is here in the audience, and I don't. He's just shaking his head. Oh. <laughs> I'm it's that something off. that we're just just now that we sold the bonds last week for the affordable housing and parks we're moving on to this as our next area of focus and okay. we'll be determining that soon Can, yeah that's correct so uh, Vishal Trivedi controller's office of public finance uh, I we're just getting started we haven't even put a financing team together yet okay. for uh, public health and safety and transportation road improvement but I've been I've been in contact with project managers for both of those bond programs and uh, they're confident that there is at least a, a need for another uh, another tranche of bonds to be issued, uh, but we're, they're still in the, the process of scoping out and uh, and uh, putting together uh, an expenditure schedule. So once uh, once they're ready, hopefully in the next few weeks, the plan is to, to meet with them and to sort of vet their uh, their their plans and the, the projects and, and make sure that the that their expectations are reasonable before we move ahead with any bond sale. But uh, the last conversation I had with, uh, with folks at MTA, they were hoping to, uh, to have an issuance for the, the full balance of the, the program funds, which is the 258.5. But, uh, you know, so that's, I put that in there just as a, as a heads up for you that it potentially could be as large as that. But we'll validate what they're asking for when, once we get a chance to go over the projects. Right, and I think we're our next meeting is in January, so we'll yeah. do that again. By, by then, we'll have a better sense. I look forward to that. Yes. <laughs> I will. Yeah, good. <laughs> Moving on to 1D. Um, so we'll spend a couple of minutes on this. Um, again, just as a reminder, last year, on your behalf, we had a public perception survey that was conducted by one of the providers in our pre-qualified pool, where we have a pool of providers that can go out and do public opinion testing, focus groups, and work of that type, and we use them for lots of different purposes in the city. They went out and did intercept surveys and tested public perception on two sites that are within the bond programs that you oversee. There was a streetscape site and a park site, and we were testing um, public knowledge about the site, before and after visitor use, their perception of the use of bond funds, some of the demographics of the people using those sites, and I think we got some interesting findings and feedback on how people perceive the bonds and <clears throat> what their usage of parks is and the kinds of improvements that um, kind of rise up highest in, in public favor. And uh, yeah, I think you were strongly interested in that type of content, wanted to do another bond. Um, we're particularly interested in focusing on affordable housing um, 
So I did a little bit of work uh, reaching out to the affordable housing uh, program managers and staff in the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development and the Mayor's Office to discuss it and had <clears throat> talked about bringing back to you a list of potential sites that we could make the subject of a public perception survey. Um, so I, I have those sites, but let me add a couple of qualifiers before we kind of look at the list. Um, you know, as you observed in the discussion with Member Natoli and the uh, expenditures audits, there isn't a lot of money out the door yet in the affordable housing bond. There aren't actually any completed projects yet that were funded with this bond. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, you could certainly go ahead with doing a perception survey focused on this bond. That's an option we can discuss. You could wait 18 to 24 months and um, choose another bond program to work on, and by which time there would be more expenditures and hopefully completed projects in the affordable housing bond. So those are kind of two options. Um, at the same time, part of my discussion with the bond program managers here is the public isn't all that cognizant of the difference in funding sources. So if what you're really interested in is getting more public understanding of the feeling around affordable housing, uh, how the city funds those things, how the building processes go, any one of the number of subjects that we talked about that you could test here, you could probably go ahead and test some of those public opinion things, whether or not the funding source was geo bonds. That's an option. Um, and just to, again, remind everybody, we, we talked about there are a lot of different things you might want to test in affordable housing. It's not the same as parks and streetscapes where you're basically testing users and then were they aware that it was geo bonds or not? Uh, did they remember voting for it? Those types of things. These projects are different. Um, would you want to test the perception understanding of any one of a number of different stakeholder communities, the residents of the projects, the neighbors, the businesses in the neighborhood, uh, the housing providers, the housing managers, builders, um, or are you trying to actually test citizen voter understanding of how the city funds affordable housing and how it manages its uh, work in that area. Any one of those things, probably interesting and legitimate possibilities, so I'm just kind of putting those out there. Um, and then lastly, so the projects themselves, again, they there are one, two, three, four, five projects that they gave me which are a mix of funding by the city's own housing trust fund federal home funds, development impact fees. There's a good range of geographic spread and different uh, target populations which were funded with these projects. I can detail any of them if you're interested in taking that approach. So that's where I've gotten to so far and um, I'd appreciate your thoughts and feedback on how you'd like to proceed. Um, yeah. I I still think there's a lot to be learned, even if we're not talking about completed projects. So I think it's still interesting, especially because um, as we look at another affordable housing bond going onto the ballot, a lot of things I hear from people when they ask me are like, I don't see anything happening with this. I don't know about it. So I think especially given the kind of oversight we're doing, like I, I care a lot about Providers, I care a lot about construction. All these things matter, I think. But I think from our viewpoint, what we're really interested in is like, we require two thirds of the voters to approve this. 
Uh, so I think their perception is an important component in this uh, and their understanding of um, you know, who is being served and, and what exactly we are accomplishing with that money uh, because a lot of people say, seem to think nothing. They don't feel like anything is happening. Um, so I, I guess to that one part of timing, I think there's still some valuable things to be gained from this. As to some of the other points, um, happy to follow up more. I definitely have some thoughts, but I, I want to think on it a little bit more about um, some of the other aspects that you brought up for sure. I, I have a different point of view than Jane. I think we should stay within our jurisdiction, which is to ensure bond-funded projects are carried out to the expectations as much as possible by the voters who approve them. It is not our job to start digging into what people think about affordable housing in the city. I would, I would rather postpone per Peg's uh, suggestion where, when there are some projects to pull on and look at something else in the next couple of years. And uh, as I said, really, it, it's not our, uh, I, well, I'm interested in everything that you listed, of course, and that Peg listed. This, that's not our job. Our job is to evaluate bond-funded projects. And while it is important, of course, to make sure there are bond-funded projects that the city needs, it's, again, it's, we are reactive. That is, this committee's role is to, is to look at projects after the bonds have been approved by voters, not to start getting into issues about parks or affordable housing or, or transit. Not our jobs. So I would actually uh, prefer to wait if we're on a, on a perception study for affordable housing and perhaps look at one of our other jurisdictional areas. I think, I think uh, Lauren makes a valid point. You know, we, we are re reacting. So there's a lot of public uh, affordable housing going on, and a lot of people don't know where the funding is, and it's so, you know, complex and enmeshed in a lot of the different things. Uh, for example, on Fell, you know, you had, and then I think the last one that this bond, or not last one, but one of the ones uh, top of my head was um, Ping Young was one of the things funded by a bond, and they're constantly doing that and then uh, clementine towers clementine towers i think no yeah so i mean it, again there's a lot of confusion there so i i, I think that's a valid point that it's kind of after the fact for us um but if we were to pull or or get a a perspective you know a combination of the residents in the project the surrounding area um, and yeah, the, the shops and owners in the area, does it bring business? Does it bring, you know, uh, economics and keep it here um, as people move in? And, and, and the residents too, it might be, you know, it's affordable, but for a lot of uh, blue collar workers, you know, getting into affordable housing is the only way they stay in San, San Francisco. Um, and, are they, and are they utilizing it? So, but again, most of it isn't our responsibility, but yeah, that's all I got. When is uh, affordable housing back on the um, uh, our work plan? We didn't we didn't have a work plan in our for them to come in. Yeah, for them. They they're slated for the January meeting. This January. Yes, so I'm going to be meeting with them soon. But um, yeah, based on our schedule. 
Okay. Um, does it make sense to, to wait to try and address this after that meeting? Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, what committee member Post says makes a lot of sense, too. Like, if we're thinking about our actual scope, right, like. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. yeah, but maybe in that meeting we can get a yeah. timeline and we can, yeah. we can pin. So, yeah, then know, maybe we can find. A year find, from now, two years, yeah. whatever that is. And, and then is that, is that helpful, Peg? Sorry to leave you in circles. Sure. Um, so when you have affordable housing before you at the January meeting, we can get some better sense of progress and uh, looking towards completion dates. I guess I, at that meeting, I could also, we could bring back to you your other programs that you're overseeing and sort of the largest volume of or dollars of completions. And you can look at that and see if you want to choose another area, if you want to make the decision to postpone public perception work on affordable housing, what might you bring forward sooner? Um, if anybody has a strong opinion about that, you could let us know that now. If not, I can just try and, you know, sort of do some criteria based on, you know, our reporting on the bond programs, like total dollars out the door, numbers of projects completed, you know, things like that. And you could have a sense of what your options would be at that time. That would be very helpful for me. <laughs> Yeah, that, when I'm looking through this, it's the transportation bonds that seem seem like they might be a good idea. But I mean, they're they're all over the city. They're yeah. you know so. Or we could each look at our area, our purview, and decide if there are, are some projects we would like surveyed. Right? I mean, maybe it will be transportation, but maybe there's something in Easter also that we're interested in. So maybe we all should get back to Peg before the January meeting if there is something specific in our areas that. Sure. If there's any for her list or no. Okay, I will plan to put a memo in the, the packet for your January meeting that summarizes it and uh, does a little criteria that I just mentioned, and I'll make sure that the affordable housing bond program liaison are aware uh, that this will be part of the conversation there. Great, thank you. Okay, um, moving on to item 2A, your annual report. So um, I think we're, 99% of the way there with this. I took the draft that you looked at at your last meeting and made the corrections, swapped out texts that people had provided. Um, text was added from Mr. Larkin's uh, liaison meetings and updates. And uh, Commissioner Post uh, reviewed it and gave me some edits. And then the clean copy with all those reviews and edits is what was included in your packet today. So um, if you have further comments or edits or suggestions, um, we can make them now, and then you could approve it on that basis. And uh, the only thing I left blank on purpose was the date on the front, which we usually put the publication date when we push things out on the controller's office website. And then just to remind you that an attachment to this report is um, my office's geobond program report. So you don't need to worry that your report has to include detailed content on scope, schedule, and budget, because all of that is here in that format. And um, so just to remind you that that's how it'll, it'll look. It'll get posted, your report together, with a link to our bond program report. Great. I think we're going to have to vote on this one. Does anybody have any additional changes you'd like to see in the document? I had a question. <clears throat> um, there were edits that you made to, to my report, and I've read this, and I don't see that there were any changes. It was just small things like tense or punctuation. Ooh, 
probably needed that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing material. Okay. We tried to preserve the original voice of each speaker. <laughs> Great. Oh no. <laughs> um, is there a um, proposal to uh, vote on this? I'll move. Yeah. Second. Oh, I, so I, I guess I move to uh, approve this. Um, nope. Okay, just for the record, there's no member of the public present. Great. Great. Thank you for your work on it. We will get it posted on the website, and uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, item 2B, your work plan. The only change that I am noting is that you've asked the port uh, park bond program manager to be present at your January meeting. And um, the slides that they provided in the current packet didn't have detail that you want to see. So you would like a, a bond program style report from them. Am I understanding that correctly? Um, I, I believe so. Um, uh, Bart's going to meet with them. So I think maybe you can give direct yeah. feedback on what, you, yeah. what we're looking for. A bond style report would be great since they weren't here. Were they here the last time the park was here? I don't remember if they were. I don't remember myself. Okay, we'll reach out to them and add them to your agenda for January. Thank you. That's the only change to your work plan that I'm aware of. Great. Yeah, the only flag I would say is it seems like there is quite a bit on January, but oh, yeah. that's that's what, life. What do we currently have in January? Can you? I'm also interested in hearing from the port since I don't think I've seen them since I've been on this committee. So, uh, where was well, technically? they're done with most of their stuff, so it should be a short report. That is the hope. So just to read it out, your January 27th meeting would have ESER bond program report, affordable housing bond program report, the liaison report for the public health and safety bond, a mid-year update from my program and the audit program and liaison report for that. Um, we will have, I hope, finished our uh, fiscal year 1819 summary report and would be presenting on that. And then the audit report for the public health and safety bond expenditures that Mark mentioned, and you'd be adding the port. I'm okay with it. I just wanted to mention it to the other members. Yeah. No, 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 that's good. Um, do we want to do ESER just as, just as a, a paper report and not have them? No, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like Charles to get to it. I'd like the staff. The one, he, they do it once a year. They only come once a year. I think it's important that they okay. come. Okay. Okay, we'll just, we'll try and manage the schedule. We'll tell everybody Thank to you. be tight and we'll look at the timing. That'd be great. Thanks. Cool. Any other business? Uh, yeah, I had a couple of items. Um, when I made the liaison report at our last meeting, I brought up I think seven questions that I asked of MTA staff, and I got an email answer to all of them. Um, both Peg and Mary were copied on that email that came from Ben Becker of MTA. 
if you're interested in seeing it, I'm sure Mary can forward it to you. I think what I'd like to do is when we next hear from them or when we have our next liaison meeting is sit down and discuss them in a, with the staffers in a little more detail. Because you know, they answered the questions, there would have been follow-up questions for clarifications and maybe the questions I asked weren't always as clear as they might have been. So it bears further discussion. Um, on the 2008 SFGH rebuild bond. Um, I think my, my last report on that, which we've since closed out in any event, but there was an outstanding claim pass-through from this, one of the subcontractors via the general contractor, WebCore, to the city. And the last I reported was that it looked like they were going to settle I checked with the attorney from the city attorney's office and she said yes, in fact, they had. Um, there is a subsequent lawsuit by the city against the designer claiming errors and omissions and there is errors and omissions insurance coverage so there'll be, there's a source of money to get that paid. In other words, they're not gonna bankrupt an architect. The architect had to get this insurance in order to get the contract from the city, and the city, in fact, always pays for it, you know, through the, the price that they pay the, the designer. <clears throat> um, that isn't scheduled for trial until next year, and even at that, it's an early date. No doubt the architect and its attorneys, which consists of the bonding company, will ask for a postponement. I'm going to predict right now that it's going to settle short of going to court. But we don't know that yet, and further, I don't know what effect that has on the bond, how they reconcile the bond, because it's money that was, that the money that was spent to settle a claim with the general contractor came from the bond. As they recover any of that money from the insurance company for the designer, don't know what happens. Does that come back? Is that reconciled in, in, in completing the bond process? Reconciliation, don't know. But now you know all that I know. <laughs> Thank it. you. Thank you for following up on those things. Anything else? I think we're adjourned. Thank you.